Hello, everybody. How you guys doing? That's great. You know what? Well, things have been, I was telling the congregation in the morning, things have been quite challenging lately for my wife, Geraldine, and me. Three weeks ago, on a Saturday morning, we got a call to inform us that my dad's younger brother, my uncle, who was just 42 years old, went to be with the Lord, leaving behind three young kids and his wife. So we had to rush to our home country to be with the family for a few days, which was quite a challenging and emotional time for us. When we came back, we discovered that I had food poisoning. The next day I went to work, but I came home early because I wasn't feeling well. In the evening, I fainted. <laughs> I was unconscious for over two minutes with my eyes open and my wife thought I was dead. <laughs> Eventually, I came back, Geraldine rushed me to the hospital and after being admitted for almost three days, I was feeling better. The next week, I went back to work and on Thursday, it was our 10th wedding anniversary. And on that day, Geraldine fell sick. She pulled through the weekend, which was intended for our wedding anniversary celebration, but didn't go as planned because she wasn't feeling well. Then on Sunday, while we were driving to church, Geraldine started complaining of severe nausea and headache, so we had to turn around and take her to the doctor. I couldn't even drive because after every kilometer or two, she would ask me to stop to throw up. And then once she got off and the signal was closed, she crossed the road to go onto the pavement and the signal opened, so I had to start driving. Now I'm trying to keep to my right to park my car and get my wife, but the cars kept on coming in. In the end, I turned into the right lane to come around, but guess what, there was no further right. All lanes turned left. That route threw me on a different road, and now I had no idea where my wife got off. <laughs> Can you imagine? My wife is throwing up, she's not feeling well, and I have lost her somewhere on a hot sunny day. And the best part is this, she doesn't have a phone or a wallet on her. Anyways, I found her, we got to the hospital, a few people visited us from the church, and uh, the next day she was discharged, she was feeling better. The last few weeks have been strangely challenging and somewhat funny, like losing my wife on the way. While driving frantically on the Jumeirah Beach Road and looking for my wife, I asked God, what is happening? Flashbacks of my uncle's passing, me in the hospital, and thoughts of my wife trying to look for me were crossing my mind. And as much as I understand that there were physical reasons for things happening, I felt like the enemy was trying to throw things at us to cause confusion and frustration. Even the hospital staff, which noticed me bringing Geraldine in, said to me, sir, weren't you here last week? I rushed you to the hospital and now you're here with your wife. And while I was driving and I asked God what is happening, the only thing I heard the Lord say to me was this. Here on earth you will have many troubles and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And friends, if Jesus has overcome the world, then the outcome can never be what the enemy wants for us. He can try to cause frustration and confusion, but that's all he can do to bring us down, not serve God and give up on him. But we take heart in the midst of our trials and fix our gaze on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And as we do that, we are reminded of how God uses our trials and our troubles to make us more like Jesus. In the letter to the Philippians in chapter 3, Paul urges the believers of Philippians and even us today to press on and pursue for the ultimate prize and that prize is Jesus. Whether we are striving at work or in our personal life, our ultimate goal should be to become like Christ. Every trial and opportunity of our lives should turn into this glorious opportunity to become like Jesus. And as we press on and follow Jesus' ways, God makes us more like him. 
Paul redirects our attention from our past and present troubles to fix our gaze on Jesus who has overcome the world. And friends, as we do that, we see that we keep on growing in Christ's likeness, which is our ultimate prize. The title of my preach today is Take Heart and Press On for the Prize. Let's read from Philippians chapter 3 from verses 12 to 14 and 20 to 21 and see what Paul has to say to us. Paul says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already achieved perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. He says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race to receive the heavenly prize for which God is calling us to Christ Jesus. And then verses 20 and 21, he says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus lives. We are eagerly waiting for his return as our savior. He will take our weak and mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Praise the Lord. Paul begins by saying that he has not yet achieved these things. He has not achieved perfection. What are the things he's referring to? What does he mean by perfection? In verses 10 and 11 of this chapter, he expresses his desire to know Christ deeply by suffering for him, sharing in his death and resurrection and experiencing the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. He wants to be like Christ and that is perfection and he's pressing on through the race of this life. And Paul wants to live that whole length and breadth of Jesus' journey, which he articulates as a race on earth, which is not yet finished. And this race is not just for Paul. It's for every believer who comes to faith in Jesus. This is a spiritual race, which is run along with the physical race of this life on a daily basis. Paul is calling us to forget what lies behind and fix our eyes on the prize. The prize is Jesus himself and our pursuit of knowing him, becoming like him and following his call is what the race is all about. And why do we need to run this race? Paul reminds us that we are citizens of heaven. He wants us to fight every earthly battle with a heavenly perspective, knowing that by the end of it, we might be weak, frail, or tired, but God will renew and restore us both spiritually and physically. In Christ, we have this promise that when we die, our souls will go on to live in heaven with our creator. And when Jesus returns, we will have glorious bodies like his own. Isn't that a good enough reason to run this race with for and to Christ to become like him? In these two passages, I see three disciplines to run this race with Jesus. Firstly, we must embrace the transformation. Secondly, we need to forget the past and look forward. And thirdly, we need to live with a heavenly perspective. So let's unpack the first discipline of embracing the transformation. Paul humbly admits that he has not yet achieved perfection, but he continues to embrace the transformation in Christ to become more like him. He sees this as a race, a race which is not completed yet. And friends, we are also called to embrace that transformation in Christ. 
Paul wants to reach the end of the race. What does that race look like for him? Suffering for Christ, sharing in his death, and experiencing the resurrection from the dead. He wants to eventually become like Jesus. Paul just doesn't want Jesus for the good part, by the way. He wants to have him fully. You know how the Instagram reels say these days, can we skip to the good part? <laughs> Paul doesn't want to skip to the good part. He wants to have all of Jesus and live like him. Friends, as much as we relish the joys of this life, Paul is drawing our attention to the sufferings of Christ to take inspiration from it and press on to the trials of this life for him and take it as a privilege of becoming like him. It's the surpassing worth of knowing Christ for which he considers everything, all the world's luxury as loss. He doesn't want to be a shiny Jew, a Christian. Early in this chapter, Paul lists his generational status and deeds and considers everything as garbage in comparison to knowing Christ because he knows that following Jesus means leaving everything behind and following him. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit starts removing the layers of sin and rebellion from us, teaching us the ways of God and Jesus. And Paul says that I continue to possess, press on for the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. He's making this effort. And friends, Paul sees this race, do you know? He does. And, and he's calling us to run the race of life which is worthy for the gospel. I'm not sure how many of you do know about this or even remember, but earlier I had mentioned one of my preachers that <clears throat> at work we are going through another restructuring in our department, the fourth one to be precise. And in the last seven and a couple of months, seven and a half years of working with my amazing company, the one thing I've learned is this. Nothing, and I mean nothing is certain except the promises of God. Lately there has been a lot of pressure and somewhat some uncertainty because of how things would look like. But time and time again, the Holy Spirit reminded me to press on regardless of my circumstances. And I understand the practical element of it, of how God uses my job to enable me to serve Him in this context till my time is ordained. So I continue to press on. My first quarter of this year was crazy for us, literally crazy. But I pressed on as if I served God, not man. Interestingly, while my wife and I were away for the Greece apostolic trip, I received an, a notification from the HR saying, no, <laughs> it was not that. I received a notification from the HR saying that I've been given the employee of the quarter award for making a contribution to the business for that same first quarter that I thought was really difficult. <laughs> Fine, you gave a lower hand. And the reasons why I'm sharing this with you is because there are two reasons actually. One, I've noticed that often I share my challenges from the pulpit, so I thought of sharing my victory in Christ. But I do know also many of you were praying for me. But the second most important reason why I'm sharing this with you is just to highlight how amazing it can be when we press on through the trials of this life, not because of what the world thinks of us, but because of what God has for us. As much as I'm grateful for this recognition, the only thing I could think of is how God used my challenges to shape me, to mold me. If you ask me, 
while facing these challenges, have I grown? Yes. Has God corrected me? Yes. Has he humbled me? Yes. Has he reminded me that it's not about me, it's about him? Yes. I wouldn't be able to stand here and testify to God's goodness if I threw in the towel and thought I was always right. And just like how Paul says, I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me, friends, I've realized that I'm not even close to that perfection. I'm a flawed, flawed, flawed man. But I press on because I know God has a plan and a purpose for my life. And he's going to use both my struggles and my shortcomings. He's going to prune me and build me through them to make me more like Jesus. Friends, in the midst of trials, we must persevere to live and be like Jesus, unwavering and undeterred. And as we persevere, we leave what lies behind and focus on the present and future in Christ. Which brings us to the second discipline of running the race, of forgetting the past and looking forward. Paul tells us in verse 13 of Philippians chapter 3, I focus on one thing, forgetting, what li- forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies behind. He's making a conscious and a continuous effort. And he gives us the analogy of a race here. When you're on a racetrack, you don't look back, you always look forward. And your eyes are fixed on the finish line. And Paul is encouraging the believers to not be bound by their past both their past experiences, their successes and their failures, and look forward. You see, often the enemy uses the past to distract or deceive us, to distract us from the call of God. Remember what happened last time? This is how you'll always end up. In some cultures I know, people believe that if something bad happens at a certain place, people consider that place to be cursed forever. I know people who believe that if they take a certain route on a day to go to work and if something bad happens on that day, they would never take that route again. Some sports fans believe in not doing certain things on the day their favorite teams are playing because they must have done something the previous time and their team's lost. So now it's a ritual of not doing something, not putting the glass here. And friends, while these are just worldly examples, sometimes we can get trapped in the cycles of our past. But the scripture is clear, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation is here. The old has gone, the new is here. And if we are a new creation in Christ, we cannot be bound by our past experiences. We need to look forward to Jesus. We need to press on in the newness of God's work for our lives and walk in the ways of Jesus. And he enables us to reach the end of the race and receive the prize. The prize is both Jesus and becoming like him. We press on to become like him. And he's given us a mandate to go to all nations, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we run this race, taking that mandate and finishing it fully. You see, Paul sees this race clearly, but why? Because he sees the track on which Jesus ran with endurance and paid the price for our sins and is now standing on the other side victorious, waiting for us to finish that race faithfully. We all serve God with our different talents in various ways, don't we? But our ultimate prize is Jesus, and Paul is calling us to become like him. And I know it's not easy, it's difficult. Earlier 
in my career when I would go through some underappreciated seasons at work, my wife would encourage me by saying that, you know what, for the most part, God likes to keep you hidden and he only brings you out when he wants to use you and then he takes you back. And if you knew me seven or 10 years ago, you wouldn't know that I struggled to be hidden. In my mind, I was born to be famous. I was born to be featured on hoardings. I had dreams of signing autographs, trust me. That's how I assumed to be. But I continued to press on when I understood this, that it is not about me. This race is not about me, it's about becoming like Jesus. It's about advancing his kingdom, sharing Jesus with those who do not know him as their Lord and Savior. Friends, we all run in our different lanes, but we run the ra same race of pleasing God, becoming like Jesus with our gifts and our talents. If there's anyone here today who does not know Jesus as the Lord and Savior, I just want to say this to you, my brother or my sister, that there is more to life than what you have already experienced. There is most to your past failures and successes. And it begins with coming to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. He's calling you on this race to run with him and become like him. Jesus is the Son of God and he, the Son of God and God in flesh came on earth, lived a sinless life, died for our sins, was resurrected on the third day and is now seated at the right hand of the Father and he is calling you into a relationship with him, not a ritual, but a relationship from the heart. It's not about being born in a Christian family, it's about knowing what Christ has done for you and accepting him from your heart and receiving the gift of, to spend eternity with the Father in heaven. It's about leaving everything behind and following him. Friends, we leave everything behind and follow Jesus because the joy of running the race of this life and becoming like Christ and the joy of one day meeting him face to face fades the beauty and pleasure of this worldly life completely. So let's throw off everything that hinders and run the race, fixing our eyes on Jesus, our prize. And as we do that, we come to that third discipline of running the race of this life along with Jesus, which is to live with a heavenly perspective. Paul reminds us in verses 20 and 21 that we are citizens of heaven. That we are not citizens of earth, we are citizens of heaven. And we are waiting for the return of our Savior, King Jesus. And when He comes, He will take our weak and mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like His. Friends, we are residents on earth, but we are citizens in heaven. All of us expats here will resonate with the term residents and citizens. We know our status here is temporary. And so is our life here on earth. So, like how while we live here, we invest back home, or, in, or we plan to invest where we eventually want to settle, we should live with a heavenly perspective of how do we want to settle in heaven with our savior. We've got to have a heavenly perspective because that's where our ultimate destiny is. And Jesus warns us from not having an earthly perspective, by the way. He says, don't store up your treasures here on earth where moths eat them, rust destroy them, and thieves break in and steal. 
Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy them and thieves cannot break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will also be. Are we storing up our treasures on earth or in heaven? What is our desire? Is it a building, a place, or a car? Or is it the kingdom of God? And don't get me wrong, having desires of building your own house, educating your kids, and all of that is not wrong as long as the culmination of it pleases God, as long as it leads of becoming like Christ and doing the will of God in your life. Where is our heart? Which race are we running? Are we running the race the world has marked for us, which is all about the next big thing and the next big thing and the next big thing? Or are we running the race God has marked for us through Christ of becoming like Jesus and receiving our heavenly prize? In the time of Philippians, they would eagerly await a visit from the Roman emperor. And Paul uses their desire to meet the Roman emperor, see him, to bring them to this ultimate reality of actually waiting for the return of the true King Jesus. And why? Paul says because our Savior, Jesus, can do what no Caesar of this world can. He will take our weak and mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control so that people like Ops, so that people like Noel and Geraldine will never faint or fall sick again. But that is a promise we've got in Christ. You see, Paul is drawing our attention to the heavenly king and kingdom. He wants us to have a heavenly perspective. Jesus told us that his kingdom is not of this world and he is not of this world. So we shouldn't focus on or get entangled in the pleasures of this life. Our focus should be on what pleases God. We shouldn't focus on the temporary things. We should focus on Jesus and his return. The apostles believed and lived as if Jesus would return at any time. They lived with this urgency. They were ready and alert. Are we ready and alert? Or have we figured out Jesus? We know him all. Done. Do we live with this urgency of knowing Christ deeply like, Christ, like Paul wants to know him fully? Are we living with this urgency of sharing Jesus with those who do not know him? What is our heavenly perspective while we live here on earth? Have we thought about that discipline? Years later, after my wife and I moved to Dubai, I met this friend who studied performing arts with me. <coughs> When he met me, he told me, we never really spoke because he was quite upset with me. I'll let you in a secret. I didn't know he was upset with me. I just thought we never spoke. But then I asked him, why was he upset with me? And he told me that because I quit the field and he thought that the two of us would do great productions and change the game of the industry. And I was like, what? And then he asked me, why did I quit? And then I told him, because God called me out of it to do something new and prepare me for my ultimate task of sharing the gospel. And he really didn't understand it. In fact, he found it quite strange. Then recently, during my annual review, my manager asked me, Noel, what is your future goal? And with great joy, I told my boss, my future goal is to quit this job and go on and plant churches. <laughs> she was like, are you mad? You can always do charity for your church, Noel. You don't need to quit your career. 
Now, I work in the supply chain, trade, maritime industry, and one of the main businesses we service is shipping. And because I'm in corporate communications, I like to play with, play with words. So I responded to my boss by, by saying, you know what? God has taken me from Shakespeare to shipping and now shepherding. And she goes like, what? <laughs> that is my heavenly perspective, to be honest. I see God painting these three shades in my life and using each one for his glory. I see God sketching this heavenly perspective in my life and I'm chasing it. It may not make sense to man, but it makes sense to me. And I know God is going to use each phase of my life for his glory. But friends, I want to ask you, what is your heavenly perspective while you live here on earth? Is it just being a banker, a lawyer, an engineer, a doctor, an executive? Or do you see God using you and your talents for more than what you said thought it was intended to be? And I'm not saying that you all have to one day quit your jobs and go and plant churches. What I, what I am asking you is this. Ask yourselves, what is my heavenly perspective while I live on earth here? How does God want to use my story for his glory and make me more like Jesus? Friends, living with a heavenly perspective allows us to build God's kingdom with our gifts and talents. And it is the greatest privilege we as believers in Christ can have on earth as we become like Christ, as we receive our heavenly prize. I want to say this thing with a lot of care, caution, love, adoration, so you don't punch me after this preach, <laughs> what I'm going to say now. Our salvation is guaranteed in Christ. There is no doubt about it, period. We are saved, we are going to be with Jesus in heaven, we are going to have glorious bodies like Christ when he's going to return. But, any believer does not have the excuse of missing the opportunity that God presents them to serve him, to build his kingdom, to prepare to meet him. Friends, I want to leave you with a few questions today. Are you continuing, like Paul, to embrace the transformation in Christ, pressing on through the trials of this life to become more like Jesus? Are you forgetting the past and looking forward to the race God has marked for you in Jesus, of both serving Him and then ultimately winning the prize of becoming like Jesus? Are you living with a heavenly perspective to build God's kingdom while you live on earth here and await Jesus' return with great excitement? 